Well, we're in the book of Hebrews. If you join us there, glad to have all guests here with us. We just started. Let's stand in honor of God's word. Hebrews chapter one. Hebrews chapter one. Um, we just started in this series in the book of Hebrews. And uh, Warner Wears, we said about the book of Hebrews, it's a book of evaluation. We evaluate ourselves. We evaluate Christ, who he is. It's a book of exhortation. Everybody here needs a little bit of encouragement along the way. Isn't that right? Sometimes a lot. Just a little bit, but some encouragement. Exhortation. How about this? He said, it's a book of examination. Examination as we examine ourselves. It's a book of expectation. And it's a book of, and this is really where we are right now in the getting started here in the, in the book, a book of exaltation as it exalts the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I've really enjoyed the beginning, the preliminary, getting into it. It always takes a little bit to kind of get into a new series, but appreciate your kind attention as we do. Tonight, uh, we'll be back in 2 Samuel. Come snow or Super Bowl, we're going to be right here in church. Amen. Six o'clock and uh, studying the book of 2 Samuel, and I think it'll be a great help to us. All right, uh, let's just read chapter one. It's not very lengthy. We've covered the first eight verses. Really, we'll double uh, verse eight even this morning. Our series is entitled Fulfilled in Christ. That everything in the Old Testament was pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ and uh, our lives are fulfilled in him. So a little bit of a double meaning in the series title. God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, uh, which that really is definitive there. It's, it's complete. Once the New Testament was finished, then that is all the revelation that God is giving. So anything beyond that, whether an angel or whether a man comes up with it, it's false doctrine. Okay, because we have the completed scriptures. Just thought I'd insert that. Hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son, whom he begins to describe the son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Here's what we covered last time in verse four through eight being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they, what name? Well, look at verse five, for unto which of the angels said he at any time, thou art my son. So he's the son of God. Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. So to what angel did he say that? The answer is obvious to none, but it is, it is applied to the Lord Jesus Christ. That brings us to verse number six. And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, and let all the angels of God, what does it say next? Worship him. The Lord Jesus, that means, well, if he receives worship, who is he? God. Only God is worthy of worship. So Jesus is God. Yes. Verse seven, of the angels, he saith, who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire, but unto the Son. See the contrast between seven and eight. 
So the angels are ministers of, of God, but the Son, he says, under the Son, verse 8, he saith, Thy throne, O God, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Notice what it says in verse number 9 about the Son. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Thou lovest righteousness, hast loved righteousness, and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness, the oil of gladness above thy fellows, he says. And then verse 10 through 12 is a quotation from Psalm 102, verses 25 through 27. Let's read it now. Verse 10, and thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the works of thy hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest. They shall wax old as doth a garment and as a vesture shalt thou fold them up and they shall be changed, but thou art the same and thy years shall not fail. He's speaking about the son there. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Verse 13. Now we come to a quote from uh, Psalm 110. In fact, he uses this, if I remember right, nine times. So several times he uses Psalm 110, and very significant. So verse 13, he says, but to which of the angels said he at any time? Sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. What's the answer to that question? None. He didn't say that to an angel, but he said that to the son. Are they not, now he's referring to the angels, are they not ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? And so then into chapter two, he says, listen, if you gave heed to that which God used angels to deliver, shouldn't you listen to what the son of God gave us? The answer is obvious. You better listen to what the Son of God said. And so that's what we're looking at here uh, this morning. The title of the message is this, The Righteousness of the Son of God. The Righteousness. So the first message, if you remember, we talked about the glory of the Son of God. Then last week was the supremacy of the Son of God. So this morning, the righteousness of the Son of God. Everything's wrong until He makes it right. Everything is wrong until He makes it right. You say, you're focusing a lot on the sun. Hey, we'll never exhaust that subject. Never exhaust it. May God bless the reading of his word as you're seated. Let's consider the eternal son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. A few years ago, we were teaching a series in, in the Old Testament. And then actually we went into the New Testament in our Sunday school hour uh, about the names of God. The names of God. Really enjoyed that study. Jehovah, Elohim, and, and then the various forms of Jehovah that tell us about who he is. Uh, uh, Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is present, and, and others, others like that. Uh, Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is peace. So, but one that really stood out to me in that study was Jehovah Tisidkanu, which means the Lord, our righteousness. The Lord, our righteousness. The Lord, Jehovah, 
our righteousness, which implies if Jehovah is our righteousness, that means we have none on our own. Okay. So it came right out of uh, Jeremiah 23. You can maybe jot this down and look at it later. It's a, it really is parallel, though not quoted uh, in Hebrews. It really is parallel because in Jeremiah, he's, um, he's dealing with how sinful things are in the nation of Israel, right down to the priest and right down to the pastors. They were wicked. And so God says, I'm going to send you a leader who has no wickedness. And that would be the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, all the way back in the Old Testament, that's the reason I'm saying Hebrews, written to Jewish believers, is a fulfillment, indicating the fulfillment of, of what the Old Testament pointed to. So Jeremiah 23, and verse number 5 and 6 says this. It says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch. Righteous. Everybody hear that? Righteous. Uh, conforming to the moral standard of God and not deviating from it. Pleasing to God. A righteous branch and a king shall reign and prosper and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. In other words, uh, God is saying to Jeremiah, through the prophet Jeremiah, to us today, a righteous king is coming who will literally reign on the earth and his judgment and his justice will be righteous. In other words, he will rule the earth in righteousness. There's a lot of corruption today. There's a lot of corruption today in, in the world of politics and government and kingdoms and and places that are on the earth. But listen, when Jesus comes to rule and reign literally upon this earth, then he will rule and reign in absolute righteousness, which right now he is currently on the throne in heaven. And he, friend, is righteous, righteous. Well, verse six says, in his days, Judah shall be saved and all Israel shall dwell safely. Hey, Wait a minute, before I move on there, let me just say this. Things are so bad, so wrong in the Middle East, the Son of God has got to come to straighten all that out. We're not going to straighten it out. Uh, the Prime Minister's not going to straighten it out. Um, I'm simply saying to you that Jesus, the King of Israel, He will straighten it out. Yeah. He's the branch. This is His name, whereby He shall be called. And then it's in all caps in your King James Bible, the Lord, our righteousness. He's right. He's righteous. So I was uh, studying to, to teach that lesson and uh, I was uh, flying back, um, I think from preaching a youth rally. And I remember a, a 29 year old lineman that I was riding beside and, and we just got to talking. My dad was a lineman, so we had an instant uh, connection there. And I, I just pointed the conversation towards spiritual things and asked him if he was saved. And he said, you know, I've been thinking about that. Today, if you're not saved, you need to think about that. There's a righteous God in heaven before whom someday you'll stand and you will either stand in your own righteousness, which the Bible says is as filthy rags. Or you can receive the free gift of salvation and stand in his righteousness. The choice really is obvious. The choice is obvious. 
So I spoke with this young man. He was a delightful uh, young man. He was a tall guy, a, a country kind of guy. We just kind of hit it off and um, began to speak to him about the Lord. And I said, hey, I'm teaching tomorrow. I just, this reason is standing out. I, I'm teaching tomorrow on, on the Lord our righteousness, which I, I said to him, you know, if it's the Lord our righteousness, it means we have none. And I said, would you mind if I just kind of walked through some of the Ten Commandments with you? And I said, have you ever told a lie? And he said, well, I own my own business. And that just kind of comes with the territory sometimes. <laughs> now, if you're a business owner, you need to tell the truth. But you're just being honest about it. Yes, I have told a lie. And have you ever taken God's name in vain? Have you committed blasphemy? He says, I'm ashamed to admit that I have. Uh, I said, have you ever stolen anything? He said, yes, sir. I, I, I'm, I'm afraid to admit that I have. Uh, I said, adultery. And Jesus even said that if you look upon a woman with lust in your heart, then you committed adultery already in your heart. And he said this, I'm guilty there too. I said, if you stood before God today, would you then be considered innocent or guilty? And here's what he said really quick. Guilty as charged. Guilty as charged. Well, if you stood before God today, which by the way, you don't know how much time you have on this earth. If you stood before him today, would you be considered innocent or guilty, you say, how in the world can I be considered innocent if the Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God? Or it's also said that there's none righteous. No, not one. How can I be considered innocent? There's a way. There's only one way, but there is a way. And so I began to explain to him uh, salvation and, and what it meant to be saved. And I said, and in fact, I asked him, how then, if you're a sinner, and he very readily admit that he was, how then can you be made right with God? He said, you know, I've been thinking about going to church. That's what he said. I said, you know, what are you going to do about all the past sins that you've done? And really, you're not going to be good enough to not sin from here on out. You need a savior. I wish I could tell you that the young man got saved. I, and I hope that since then, maybe he's thought a little bit more about it. He lived out towards Sayre or Elk City area. I remember that. And, and, and so uh, I was so glad to come back across these notes to be reminded of that, even to pray for him again. If he's not saved, listen, friend, he needs to be saved. But he's not here that I know of. But you're here. And I'm asking you today, are you saved? Do you have righteousness? Have you sinned? Oh, yes, I've sinned. Well, there's a way to be forgiven of that. And our text really does deal directly with that as it speaks about the Lord Jesus Christ as being righteous. And you know what? I, I, one more word about that young man before we move on. He said, if I knew as much about the Bible as you do, I wouldn't be quiet about it. So I'm not going to be quiet about it. Not that I know a lot about the Bible. I'm still learning. How about you? But, but the young man understood that, hey, listen, I, these are important things. And, and so as we gather here every single Sunday morning, we're considering very vital things of life. And this morning we're speaking about Jesus, the Son of God, the righteous Son of God. I'm so glad to hold him up to you today and be able to say without any kind of hesitation that he is right and he does right. They, the Hebrews, were under uh, persecution and were being mistreated by their society, even mistreated by their own government. Hey, listen, but Jesus will never mistreat you, friend. 
You may be mistreated by family. You may be mistreated by work. You may be mistreated by friends. But I'm telling you, one person today, dear friend, you may be mistreated, have been mistreated by a pastor or some leader in your life. But I'll tell you, somebody who will never mistreat you, never do you wrong, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you listening to this here this morning? The Lord is righteous. And, and so the main point of the, of the text, and I never want to stray from that, the main idea from the text that he's getting across is that Jesus is so much better than the angels. That's his main point here in the first two chapters. And he's, and he's demonstrating that Jesus is eternal. The angels were created. Jesus is sovereign. He's Lord. The angels are his servants. But they were struggling because the angels represented a part of Judaism. It represented a part of the law that they were clinging to and holding to. And it was easier to go back than it was to go forward. You know, sometimes that's how it is in life too, isn't it? It's easier to go back. It's easier to go back to your old life. But let me encourage you here today, dear friend. Don't go back to that sinful way of life. Keep living for the Son of God. He's righteous. And yes, things may not be right, but, but He is right. He is right. And to which of the angels did he say at any time, thy throne, O God. Well, as we've already determined, there's none that he said that to. No. In fact, would you look at it again in verse number eight, unto the Son, he saith, thy throne, O God. Hey, listen, wrong versions of the Bible, get it wrong. The King James Bible says, thy throne, O God. No, this is a direct reference to the deity of Jesus Christ. It is. Thy throne, O God, look at it. The rest of verse number eight is how long? Forever and ever. That shows that Jesus is not a man, not a mere mortal. Now chapter two is gonna make very plain that he did come and was fully man, 100% man, 100% God. And yet without sin, he was man. We'll see that in chapter two, but right now he's emphasizing the deity of Jesus Christ and that, listen to this, he is eternal. He always has been the son of God. There never was a time he was not the son. You say, I thought he became the son at his birth. No, he always has been the son. Well, that would imply that he existed before his birth. You got it. That's right. He always has been. He's the creator. He existed before his creation. And when his creation begins to dwindle away, he still exists. See, he's eternal forever and ever. If his throne is forever and ever, then he's forever and ever. If his throne is eternal, he's eternal. He never gets old. He won't get decrepit and unable to rule. No, he's God and he always is able. He doesn't forget what he's supposed to say. He's forever the same. Mm. Mercy. Everybody still with me here? Did I lose anybody right there? Sure didn't mean to. Verse eight, thy scepter is a righteous scepter. How about this? His scepter, what's that mean? Well, that means he rules. It's a rod. Like a king would, would have a scepter. Well, that means he's, he's got the scepter. The Bible says in Genesis 49 that, that the scepter would never depart from Judah. Jesus is of the tribe of Judah. 
Isaiah chapter 11 talks about the scepter being there, the righteous scepter of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's all right there in the text. Thy scepter is a righteous scepter. He says in verse number, verse number eight, thy righteousness is a righteous scepter. That simply means this, that the way that he will rule is righteous. There's actually two words of righteousness that are used here. The one that is in verse number eight is a rare word for righteousness, which means this, straight or uprightness, straightness, honesty, integrity, justice. The Lord will do right. And then the other word that's used, very similar to that, a synonym of it, which is more commonly used, is used in verse number nine. He is righteous at all together. You know, we have a hard time getting things right, don't we? We have a hard time getting it right. Large and small ways. Sometimes I have a hard time getting my tie right. Anybody else in here have a hard time getting your tie right? I mean, you try to, you try to get it to where, you know, the, where the point of it is right in the middle of your belt buckle. <laughs> Sometimes it's too short. Sometimes you're tripping on it, Right? And you want the knot. I mean, you want the dimple. Come on. Am I helping anybody here this morning with the tieology? Right? You want the dimple to be right in the middle. And sometimes it's over here. It's over there. I can't get it right. <laughs> How about parking? <laughs> crooked. Pull up. Now you're crooked the other way, right? Getting too close. Hey, we have a hard time getting it right. Remember when the boys were little and they, they uh, enjoyed a yo-yo? I remember uh, one of them in particular came up and said, Dad, look at my oyo. <laughs> String was all poof. Even called it an oyo. <laughs> I'm just simply saying to you, listen, large and small ways, we have a hard time getting it right. Verse 9 says that he loves righteousness. Can I remind you today that he still loves righteousness. He is, he has affection for righteousness. He holds it in high esteem. Listen this morning, the son of God delights in righteousness. He hates. He, the, the word hate, there is a strong word. It means there is aversion or hostility towards wickedness. He strongly disapproves of wrongdoing, wrong thoughts, wrong words, wrong actions. He loves righteousness. He disapproves of wickedness. I'm asking you today, are you righteous or are you wicked? He wants to save you and make you righteous. You don't deserve that. By the way, I'm, I'm reading a book right now on, on the Titanic. One of the, the survivors there, or the, or sorry, one of the individuals that went down with the Titanic that was a preacher and, and he tried to witness to as many people. In fact, you know, in the Titanic, there were three classes of people, you know, first class, second class, third class. But by the time it was all said and done, friend, there was just two categories. In fact, I just read a chapter that talked about how they're in Liverpool, England, as they, they had the, uh, the, the sign out, those who were saved, those who were lost. Not first, second, and third class. There was only two classes, those who were saved and those who were lost. And it did not matter their material possessions. It all boiled down to saved 
or lost. Today, listen, it boils down to this. You're either saved, you have His righteousness applied to your account, or you're lost. But He wants to save you, dear friend. He loves righteousness, the Bible says, and He hates wickedness. He does not hate you as a sinner, but He hates sin. Much like maybe we would say that we hate or despise cancer and what it does to the body, that we love the person that is fraught with cancer. Hey, he loves you. He hates your sin. His very nature causes that hostility towards sin. And yet amazingly, he loves us as sinners. Look at verse number nine. It says, Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore, God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with oil of gladness above thy fellows. Okay, let me explain to you what that's talking about. That's talking about the Father has anointed the Son. In fact, in, in Isaiah 61, it talks about how the Messiah would be anointed or appointed by God. This is in fulfillment of that. And, and Jesus read that very text uh, on that day as he stood and read the text. And he was anointed by the Father as the Messiah. And it was with the oil of gladness. In other words, he looked ahead and for the joy set before him endured the cross. What, what is that talking about? That's talking about how that he, he was looking forward to the time when he would save sinners like you and me. And that's why he went through that cross. And so he's talking about that the oil of gladness above thy fellows. The word fellows there is companions or partners. And it's not used of the angels. In fact, it's used seven other times. I'm sorry, it's used seven total times. Six of those times, if I'm not mistaken, is right here in Hebrews. And it talks about partakers like you and me. But the Son of God is above us. He's anointed a, the Son of God with oil above thy fellows is what he's saying. And so again, he's driving home the point. Listen, you need to be listening to the Son of God in your life. Now, verse, verse number 10 and, and through to verse number 12 is very interesting because it has to do with creation. And in Psalm 102, it speaks about God who created and framed the earth with his, with his hands and laid the foundation of it. Here, it speaks of Jesus as the one who laid the foundations and framed it. So which is it? Yes, because Jesus is God. The writer of Hebrews is applying the text from Psalm 102 to none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. So look at it if you would. And this ties right in with righteousness. And it's not a stretch. I think you'll see it as we get into it. It says this in verse number 10, Thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth. Can I tell you, Jesus laid the foundation of the earth. All things were made by him and for him, the Bible says. All right. The heavens are the works of thy hands. Yes, they are. He spoke the worlds into existence. You also are fearfully and wonderfully made by him. Verse number 11, they shall perish. Everybody see that? Verse 11, they shall perish. What shall perish? Well, the earth. Um, the earth is not evolving to a state of better and better. Actually, scientists will acknowledge, no, things are actually deteriorating. They're getting worse and worse. It says they shall perish. Why? 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 Why does the earth perish? Why so much erosion? Why so much corrosion? Why? Why so many uh, earthquakes? Why so much many uh, hurricanes and tornadoes and and um, what else do we have here in Oklahoma? Pretty much 
the gamut of it, right? Why, why so much deterioration? Why, why so many problems on the earth? Why, why so much disease? Why so much death? Why so much flooding? Why so many fires? I'll tell you why. The whole creation groans in pain together until now. The curse, the curse of sin is causing the whole creation to reel in pain and suffering. That's why your sin, my sin, the curse of, of sin is upon the earth. He says, they shall perish, but thou remainest. They wax old like a garment. As a vesture, thou shalt thou fold them up. They, they shall be changed. He say, listen, just like an old, old piece of clothes. You go through your clothes. You say, okay, I think I can keep wearing that one. But that one's wore out. It's going to the thrift store. It's going here or there. It's going to the trash. That, their, their clothes wear out. These are not Israelite clothes that last 40 years in the desert. No, they wear out. They get moth-eaten. They, they, they go threadbare. They, they get wore out by dryers, and washers, and, and five-year-olds. Get the knees out of them day two. They wax old like a garment. But he says, listen, creation waxes old but the creator. It's timeless. You see, all that has to do with righteousness. You say, I'm not, I'm not following you. Well, again, why does the earth wax old? Why is the earth under such a curse? It's because of our sin. It's because of a lack of righteousness. I'm telling you, dear friend, listen, things are so bad. Things are so out of whack. Things are so wrong that only the Son of God can make them right. If we had time, we'd go to 2 Peter chapter number 3 and we see that this earth that we live on someday will melt with a fervent heat. All of it. And the Son of God will make a new heavens and a new earth. Things are so bad, He's not going to renovate, He's making a new one. A new heavens and a new earth. And we get to live in that. The eternal, righteous Son of God is going to do what man cannot do. So then Peter says, seeing these things are going to be dissolved, what manner of persons ought we to be? Uh, do, you, do you get what he's saying there? Hey, the righteous God is going to deal righteously. Man may think he's getting away with things, but he's not. There's a day of reckoning. That brings us to the final section of this chapter, verse 13 and 14. And it is about how Jesus is victoriously seated at the right hand of the Father. It's a quotation, as I've already mentioned in the Bible reading, out of Psalm 110 and verses 1 and following, but mainly verse number 1. It's the first of nine references uh, in Hebrews alone. Jesus also referenced this in the Gospels about himself. In fact, he was stumping the religious Pharisees at the time saying, how said uh, David in Psalm 110, my Lord said to my Lord, sit thou at my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. Jesus says, uh, answer that one. Well, they had a hard time with that one. Footstool means this, the place where you rest your feet, right? Because you're victorious. 
In fact, uh, as Joshua overcame some of the enemies, they literally put their foot on their head, on their neck, indicating they were subdued. The Bible says right here that the Son of God will be victorious. His enemies becomes his footstool. He triumphs over all wrong. It has to do with his righteousness. I'm simply making a case today that he's righteous, we're not, and things are wrong until he makes them righteous. So back in verse number eight, if it says thy throne, O God, that has to do with his rulership. Isn't that right? That he's on the throne. And if he's a king of righteousness, his scepter is a, a, righteous, a, a scepter of righteousness. That means he rules and reigns and does what's right. So what that implies to you and I, then the way that we should apply this is that since he is the king of righteousness, I need in my life and you need in your life to listen, to submit to his rule because everything is wrong until he makes it right. He's God. He's sovereign. He's eternal. He's all wise. We're not. You say, man, preacher, you're right on it right here today. There's a lot of things wrong in my life. I'm not right in my mind. Things aren't right in my family. Things aren't right at work. Things aren't right in my relationships. Things just aren't right. Okay, okay, good, good, good. You're recognizing that. He can get it right. He can get it right. Yeah, but you, you don't know my past. Hey, your past, your past is no problem for him. He's the Lord, our righteousness. His righteousness is greater. He get, his righteousness has no variation. There's no asterisk in the Bible that says he'd give his righteousness to sinners that aren't like real bad sinners. No, there's no qualification there. The, o- the only qualification is this, repentance. That I, I repent and I turn to God by faith to say, there's, listen, there's nothing I can do to save myself. Oh God, would you save me? That's the ones he'll save. Those that are puffed up and self-righteous, they don't think they need salvation and they can't be saved. But if today you acknowledge, I'm a sinner, there's nothing I can do to save myself. I'm not gonna trust religion. I'm not gonna trust my heritage. I'm not gonna trust tradition. I'm not gonna trust an earthly priest. I'm not gonna trust an earthly rite. I'm not gonna trust baptism. I'm not gonna trust a church. I'm gonna trust Jesus and Jesus alone. That, friend, is what the Bible calls salvation. A transaction happens right there where his righteousness is transferred to your bankrupt account. But that's not the end. That's just the beginning. Because then what you are positionally in Christ, he wants to make you practically in life. Because he loves righteousness and he hates wickedness. So why would he want his children or his followers walking in wickedness? That makes no sense. So those whom he has saved, he wants to help walk in the paths of righteousness. I was sitting beside Brother Dan McQueen Friday night at a ball game and and, uh, we were just chatting about um, 
how things are there at Bible Baptist Church. He's on the staff there helping out in the youth department. And we had quite a time, understood that uh, Brother Hardy was uh, having time with the kids of the church while the parents went out on a date. He and along with some workers, they had, uh, what do they call it, um, Hardy Party. <laughs> hardy Party. I think that's what it is. They party, hardy, hardy party. So one of the members of Southwest came to me afterwards and said, you know, I think it'd be a good idea for you to do here at Southwest, just get all the kids together and let the parents go out on a date. So she said, I think it could be called Gaddis Madness. <laughs> yeah, I think you may be onto something there. Yeah. But the Dan was saying their theme this year, I forget the exact wording of it, so... But anyways, they've made a track in light of it. And he said, man, Brother Gaddis, it's been amazing the response that we've got because the track reads this way. I asked him to send a picture of it to me and it reads this way. Come heal. It's got a broken heart on it. Just simple graphic, broken heart. Come heal. What pain are you carrying? And then the other part of the track says, people feel pain from tragedy, guilt, anger, anxiety, fear, finances, failure. He says, it's amazing, Brother Gad. I said, in door knocking. I've knocked on doors and people, they look at that track and they say, that's me. I mean, un unsolicited, that's me. And, and then he said this, he said, it's been amazing. And he numbered the times. I don't remember how many, but he numbered the times and said, you know, then they go into their story and how they're broken in this particular area. You know, the one who can make it right. The one that can heal. The son of God. The track conveys it this way. It's either going to be your form of getting things right or getting help or healing, self-cure, self-help saying positive things to yourself, unhealthy relationships, substance abuse, or, or, listen, God's help in the form of His Word, a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ in a church where you can come and heal in life. Well, that's not just true at Bible Baptist Church in Stillwater. That's true right here. And I would imagine in a congregation this size with as many guests as we have here today, there's somebody that would say, you know what, that's me. I'm broken. You may not have known the terminology to say it this way, but really, truly what's lacking is righteousness. I'm not right. Something's not right. Now, I think you can understand that and identify that. And I'm saying to you based on this text, because he's greater than the angels. And he's greater than Moses. And he's, great. he's going to go on in Hebrews to make all that very, very plain and clear. Ultimately, he's saying this. He's God. He's eternal. He's sovereign. He can save you. And once saved, he keeps you saved. And he helps you grow. And go in the paths of righteousness. Everything's wrong until he makes it right. So the invitation is pretty simple. You just need to come to him. Leave your reservations behind and just come to him. Let's stand together here this morning. Thank you for listening. I hope that and pray. And I know as God's word is conveyed that it will help you because he will help you. Is everything all right?
Is everything all right between you and God? Do you know for sure you're saved and on your way to heaven? How many of you with heads bowed and eyes closed, just to give a privacy to the moment, how many could raise your hand right there and say, yes, I know that for sure. I know I'm saved. He saved me when I was, and you could name the time. Praise God, you may put your hands down. Looking around, I wasn't able to see who didn't raise their hand, but you, you know, if right now you'd say, preacher, pray for me. I, I know I'm not right with God. I'm not saved. Would you raise your hand and acknowledge that? I remember as an eight-year-old boy raising my hand and saying, that's right, I'm, I'm not saved. I'm on the wrong road. Would you raise your hand if that's you? Thank you. I appreciate your honesty. Yes, yes, sir. Who else today? Not can embarrass you or point you out or anything like that, but God spoke to your heart today, friend, using his word. And convict, convicted you. Another way to say that would be to convince you that you are a sinner and you need a Savior. Anybody else while I wait just a moment, I'm looking around today. Don't trust religion. Don't trust anything or anyone but Jesus. Who, who would be that way today? I know there's some distractions here, but let's, let's just try to tune in here uh, this morning. God spoke to your heart. If that's you, just a moment. I want to look around just a moment. If you, give you opportunity to acknowledge it. Those of you that, that raise your hands, there's going to be men here at the front and ladies and Someone can take the Bible and, and explain and answer questions for you on how today you can trust the Lord as your Savior, be forgiven of your sin, and be declared righteous because He gives you His righteousness. It's a gift. The righteous Son of God became sin for you. Now, believers, if things aren't right in your life, you are saved. But if things aren't right in your life, He's your Savior. And things are going to be wrong until you come to Him and submit to His rule and let Him help you get it right. I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer. If, if you want to respond, I'm going to encourage you to come on the very first verse as we begin to sing. Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege and honor to preach. and Try to get across a message that could help from your word. We pray earnestly that you would speak to hearts. We pray that you'd help those that need to move and come, that you'd help them to come. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.